0: What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome in to the Tuesday, May the 8th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are back talking about the rookies, and today's podcast features former Notre Dame tight end. Durham Smythe, his strengths, his weaknesses, some excellent quotes about the player, what we can expect in his rookie year and beyond with the Miami Dolphins. Also, we'll peel back the onion on the Ben Volen report regarding Steven Ross's alleged interest in trading down and not taking Minka Fitzpatrick. And if we'll have time, we'll get to a surprise guest on the show to wrap it up. But first, I have to remind you guys go and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. Voted the best follow on Dolphins Twitter at Wingfield NFL and the show at Locked Check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the third month running the best blog spot in the Locked On Network, as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast. For all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams, we got a busy show for you guys today. So, That's Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. and it is first down here. Locked on Lockdown Dolphins podcast, and while this is the Durham Smy 360 episode, I wanted to go ahead and discuss that Ben Volan report that came out regarding Stephen Ross and trading back and not taking Minka Fitzpatrick, and kind of explaining some of his frugality issues he has with running a football team. And it just doesn't make sense, doesn't add up logically in any sense of the word. So I wanted to go over that and kind of discuss with you guys my thoughts on that report and just how valid it might be. And it kind of goes back to the the feelings about Steven Ross as an owner, as a Dolphins fan. How do you feel about what he's done? in his decade-long ownership of the football team. And it's crazy to think that it's been 10 years now because it just seems like yesterday that he bought the team. But you go back over all of the, the fuck-ups, for lack of a better term, that he's had with his football team, and it really started off poorly in the beginning. He got a really bad rap in the beginning of his ownership time with the Miami Dolphins. But I feel like he's kind of cleaned it up and learned from his, his mistakes and gotten better as an owner. You go back over the whole Jim Harbaugh chase while Tony Sperano was under contract. That was a nightmare. The fact that they lost out on him made it way, way worse. Pushing the September and October home start times back to the 4 o'clock start time, opposed to the traditional 1 o'clock start time, that was the biggest one in my opinion. The whole orange carpet thing with all the celebrities and, and minority ownership within the football team. Losing those early September-October games, we wrote an article about it on LockedOnDolphins.com, talking about the Dolphins' advantage in South Florida. ESPN's Lewis Riddick talking about how some teams report that they go down there and come the fourth quarter, they have a plug pulled from their energy level, so to speak. And so you lose that advantage when you take those start times away. So that was his biggest gaffe as Dolphins owner. He's also loyal to a fault, and that's probably a bad thing for him in the sense that he retained Joe Philbin for that 2015 season. I remember that 2014 game against the Minnesota Vikings in a relevant game. Ryan Tannehill balls out with 400 yards, four touchdown passes. Terrence Fidé blocks a punt (laughs) for a game-winning safety in the most Dolphins-fashion victory of all time. And he comes out and proclaims that Joe Philbin's coming back for the 2015 season. And he kind of had an emotional decision that was wrapped up in the heat of the moment right there when he really should have sat down logically and gone over the roster, gone over the offensive line failures, gone over the inability to develop the quarterback and fired Joe Philbin that year. And the Dolphins could have moved on in 2015 with a fresh start, getting all those players they got that year. There was a lot of excitement around the football team. And then they go on and fire Joe Philbin after a dreadful one and three start against a pretty bad part of the schedule. So he's had those mess ups. But in my opinion, He's kind of turned the corner as the owner and as a, I guess, decent owner. He's still not, obviously, you know, the Roonies or the Maras or the crafts of the NFL. But his loyalty, we talked about it as a fault and it's something of a weakness. But one thing has always been certain to me, and it's that he will spare no expense nor no resource to improve this football team and we've seen it in the past he walked the walk in terms of showing you what type of owner he is the free agent spending sprees going after Andamacan Sioux trading up in the draft for Dion Jordan inviting the state of the art sports science program the Dolphins currently have in Miami with the facility down there in Davie and chasing and landing those big free agent coaching searches and we talk about Jim Harbaugh not coming here he pursued him the whole thing put egg on his face but at least he was willing to try to upgrade the football team we just can all agree that he did it in the wrong way but you go back to 2016 who was the hot coordinator name that year it was it was Adam Gase and Stephen Ross that was his guy from the get-go he got him he got him in the building he interviewed him he got the entire process rolling and he landed his man so he's never been one to spare expenses to cut back on the checkbook so this report that Minka Fitzpatrick was they didn't want to. He didn't want to draft him because he wanted to trade back to save money. I just I call hogwash on it. And you go back to the article, "The Secret Life of Scouts" from Pete Thamel on Yahoo. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast. And just talking about what those scouts saw on Mika Fitzpatrick, I referenced the story about the coaching or the scouting staff finding him at Bryant Denny Stadium in Alabama six hours before kickoff, going over film, and just how pumped they were. They sent a group text that all the scouts kind of replied back with a thumbs up emoji, just applauding his efforts and basically stating that this was the guy they wanted all along. So they target him all along, and now there's reports of Stephen Ross and frugality. That's just about as egregious. As, as it is poorly researched, in my opinion, saving about a million dollars in guaranteed cash per spot at that portion of the draft. If you go back five or six spots, it probably saves you in the long haul four or five million bucks but I don't really see how that would be Steven Ross's MO. You look at the cap hit, you go back five or six spots, you would save about a million bucks total. So just doesn't make any sense. Complete hogwash is what I'm calling this one. Just like much of the national media reporting we've had on this team the last few months, but This is not the podcast for that. This is Durham Smice Podcast. If you've happened to find this podcast, Durham, I do apologize for starting off without you and burying the lead. But we're going to get to Durham Smice 360 Podcast next on the Lockdown Dolphins Podcast. It's at Wingfield NFL, at Lockdown And as promised, we are getting into the Durham Smythe 360 podcast. You can check out his piece on LockedOnDolphins.com titled The Rookies, Durham Smythe, where I pull some quotes, drop some gifs on you guys, talk about his summary of his football game. And we'll talk about it here in the podcast and start off with the quotes from other players on his team, from the coaches on his team. One of my favorite things to get into here as we develop these prospects and get to know them a little bit more because all the tape study, all the different scouting guides out there, there is so much literature on what these guys can do between the lines. And from that piece that Pete Thamel wrote that we just referenced in the last segment talking about these scouts jobs these days. It's just as much about uncovering their personality and what makes them tick and looking at their bodies in person than it is actually watching the tape. So that's kind of where I start. Like I said, there's so much out there for you guys to munch on. And I'll always give you guys the film stuff and give you my opinion on that as you value it as much as you may do or may not. But I think this stuff definitely holds indisputable Relevance to their asset with the football team. So, just going over two of these quotes I found from a piece on 247sports.com from Mike McGlinchey, the ninth overall pick in this year's draft to the San Francisco 49ers. He quoted saying, We joke about him being old, reliable, and being the old Buick out there on the field just because he's always there, McGlinchey said. He's always blocking his ass off all over the field. Whenever there's a play that needs to be made, he's making it. And then you go on to Brian Kelly. And this is the quote that really struck home with me just because of the Dolphins' entire theme this offseason to finding guys that want to be in the playbook, that want to be in the facility, that want to take the stuff home with them and be prepared studious football players. A quote from Kelly says, quote, he is so important to the chemistry. He's such a consistent piece and so assignment correct in everything he does. So just really lends credence to what the Dolphins have been doing all offseason in terms of getting guys that like we talked about, bringing their playbook home with them and just making sure they're ready for the games on Sundays. It's such a vital piece to Everything these guys do as athletes and getting their mind right and getting themselves prepared so that the things they see on a Sunday are not a surprise and rather expected for them. So that's part of his game. He's his ability to adjust what he does as a player based on the role of the team finds for him or what they need him to do is really the most accept or exciting part about his game. Rather, they talked about him being the point of attack guy and the one that they really ran the offense through. And there was so much the offense did at Notre Dame from the running game, the seventh best running game in the country, both on zone read, jet sweep misdirection, power schemes, gap schemes, counter steps, all the stuff they did. They ran a lot of things off of Durham Smythe's end, whether he was, detached or in line, so it goes back to just what he offers as a blocker and kind of how he prepares himself. And you go back to when he was eight years old, he actually had the desire to go to Notre Dame because he was curious which schools offered the best academia as well as football program. And he went online himself and looked up the top schools. So he gave it to a list to his dad and said, this is the schools I want to look at. He narrowed down to Notre Dame. So from a very young age, he knew where he wanted to play football and he made it happen. We talked about his strengths at the point of attack. You basically can eliminate the extra lineman package you don't have to do that anymore. He can play both in line and detached as a blocker and Just the number two tight end in this offense, what you have to be able to do is pass protect and run block. And then you kind of add in the pass catching that comes along with that. And he's very athletically gifted. You guys can see the relative athletic scorecard I posted on the column on LockdownDolphins.com to see just where he ranks as a tight end athletically. Now, he does have some weaknesses. Obviously, guys that go in the fourth round are going to have some warts. He's incredibly raw as a route runner. Doesn't really understand the nuances of running routes. And he didn't put it into practice, so you can understand why that was the case. He didn't have to run it on Saturdays, so he didn't practice it throughout the course of the week. Didn't really have a chance to refine his game in that way and he kind of rounded off his routes. He didn't really press the toes of the defensive back. There was no selling the route. He showed you the route from the start and that's where he was going to go and it's where he did go and he rushed through his landmark. So he didn't hit a point and break down and get in and out of breaks smoothly. It was all rounded and kind of sloppily done. So he can definitely improve in that area. I don't think it's something he can't do. I think it's one of those cases where it's something he didn't do. So as a rookie in his first year with the Miami Dolphins, 2018. My expectations are a primary number two tight end. I expect both the rookies to be the number one and number two tight ends. Going to be a focal point in the running game as a blocker when he comes onto the field. He can basically take out the extra lineman package that we talked about. And hopefully he's a red zone option in 12 personnel down in short yardage where the Dolphins can kind of run some of the deception stuff they want to do in terms of play action, getting guys over the top. We all know how valuable that tight end of the back of the end zone on play action in goal line packages can be. So you kind of look at him in that mold as well. So going forward, you help to develop him more as a pass catching threat, but immediately on, I would say he's probably going to be more of an inline guy, point of attack guy. All right. So going on to the last segment of this podcast, I'm going to have a guest, I believe I'm going to hit pause. On it right now and come back to the podcast later tonight. So, this break for me might be a few hours, but for you guys, it'll be just one second to close out the podcast and the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. Well, I wasn't able to get the guest in the podcast today. I actually had a dinner with the lovely fiance tonight, so we ran a little bit late. Couldn't get him on the podcast, but he's one of our talented writers at LockdownDolphins.com. He is Josh Soden. He's got a piece up right now on LockdownDolphins.com that alludes to the Dolphins defense not really having an opportunity to practice against a tight end like Mike Gasicki every single day and how it can help them better prepare for guys like Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, and all those players that give the Dolphins fits and have for so long from the tight end position. So you go back over the course of the last... Five or six years for this Dolphins defense. The only guys in the roster they've had to play against in that mold are the Deion Sims, the Dominic Joneses, the guys that are more inline blockers slash plotters that don't really do a whole lot in terms of athletically creating separation in the passing game. You did have Jordan Cameron, Julius Thomas, but let's be honest here and talk about what those guys really were as players past their primes guys that were trying to recapture magic they had earlier in their career and it didn't work out with the Dolphins as we all well know. So check that out right now. It's up on LockedOnDolphins.com. I'm not sure what he wound up titling it, but it's a feature piece on the site. You can find it just by going to LockedOnDolphins.com, Joshua Soden, and discussing the tight ends and the ability for the Dolphins to now practice against a tight end they're going to face on game days every single day in practice. And then real quick before we sign off here, I have one more segment that I wanted to go over on the podcast today. And it is in reference to a couple of polls that I posted on Twitter today. Just going over the draft class and trying to get kind of the pulse of the fan base. These things tend to create good conversation. And it's cool to have numbers to back up what the fan base is feeling. So my first question was, who is most likely to make a Pro Bowl at some point in their career? I listed the four players that are at prime positions, guys that could challenge for AFC supremacy in terms of their position and Minka Fitzpatrick, Mike Gasecki, Jerome Baker, Kalen Ballage left off Durham Smythe, our boy from the 360 podcast today, but Minka Fitzpatrick, obviously the overwhelming winner of that poll at 84%, Mike Gusecki 15%, Jerome Baker didn't get a single vote, and Kalen Ballage got 1% of the votes. That was about 700 votes on that poll, so the Dolphins fans overwhelmingly giving Minka Fitzpatrick a nod to Hawaii at some point in his career. And then the next question, I use the same exact options as Said who was most likely to bust of this group. Only 2% on Mike on Minka Fitzpatrick, 24% on Mike Kaseki, 52% on Jerome Baker. So half of you guys think that he is the most likely to bust. And it makes sense because of kind of the transition you're asking him to make in terms of being more of a full time linebacker and get back into the mold of being a two down thumper and playing downhill with the strength. All the stuff we talked about. We've kind of detailed that he might be better than he's given credit for in that regard, but you guys feel 52% wise that he is the most likely to bust of these Dolphins draft picks. And then Kalen Balaj gets 22% out of that vote there. The third question was, who is the safest pick with the lowest bust potential, but a limited ceiling? And Minka Fitzpatrick takes this one too. And I think I kind of worded it in a weird way for people to kind of not have an idea what I was really trying to get to. But 55% Minka Fitzpatrick, the safest pick. 11% Mike Kosecki. 14% Jerome Baker. So an interesting shift there in terms of safe compared to bustability. And then Kalen Balazs, 20% of the, vote, of the votes there for that poll. The last one was, who was your favorite pick from the quote, other, end quote four guys in the draft? Durham Smythe, Cornell Armstrong, Jason Sanders, and Quentin Poling. 55% gave me the guy from the 360 podcast, Durham Smythe, so he is the overwhelming favorite in this poll. 28% Cornell Armstrong, 14% Quentin Poling, and then 3% of you went with a kicker, Jason Sanders. So The draft kind of came and went and we all saw how excited Dolphins fans were about the first four or five picks there. And they really got confused in the back end with the cornerback, the kicker and the linebacker, all from small schools, a shift in terms of what they were looking for from the blue blood, blue blood programs, you know, the Penn States, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the guys, we got all of our main players from in this draft, you go back to the, end of day three and you start going towards the Southern misses, the new Mexico States and Ohio. So there was definitely a philosophical shift there at the end of the draft and they went in a different direction, but they did continue the theme of taking pure athletes throughout the course of the draft. So the people have spoken here on the podcast. All right, guys, that's going to do it for tonight's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at Michael NFL. Follow the show at Locked Fins. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL both on Facebook and Twitter. Check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, lockedondolphins.com. We have some huge stuff coming for you guys down the pipe. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Up. This is America. Don't catch you slipping up. Don't catch you slipping up. Look what I'm whipping up. This is America. Don't catch you slipping up. Look how I'm living up. Police be tripping up. Yeah, this is America. Runs in my area. my area. I got this strap Hey, I gotta carry carry them Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is gorilla yeah, yeah, I'ma go get the bag, yeah, yeah, or I'ma get the bag, yeah, yeah, I'm so cold like yeah, yeah, I'm so dull like it.